thawed. Congratulations. It's a, it's a chilly one out there. If we haven't met, my name is Kyle Howard. I just recently came onto the staff here at First Free as the pastor of Family Ministries. So I've, I've gotten to know a, f- a few names, but there's, there's a lot of names to know here. So if I haven't met you yet, at some point in time, you see me buzzing around. I'd love to introduce myself to you. Uh, shameless plug, if you are interested in loving God and your neighbor through investing in the generation that God is raising up here at First Free, to impact our world locally and globally, I would love to talk to you pronto because we, uh, we really value raising up this generation that God has entrusted to our care well, knowing his word, knowing him and walking with him faithfully. And so if that's something that maybe at some point in time you feel like God has put on your heart before or something that you would like to think about again, please talk to me and either we'll talk or I'll direct you to one of our teammates as we just really believe that God has some awesome and amazing things going on right now in our family ministries and definitely into the future. Uh, Today it's it's a blessing to get to jump into God's word with you as we will be continuing our series to the ends of the earth as we walk through the book of Acts If you wanna go ahead and flip to Acts chapter 20, that's where we'll be this morning. And we will be covering all 38 verses, but don't worry, I talk fast. And there is a lot packed in this chapter that I think will speak to all of us in the room. Some of you maybe are engineers or doctors or lawyers. Maybe some of you are, are more artistic. Maybe some of you, you think emotions and feelings are the bane of your existence and you try to avoid them at all costs. And maybe others of you, you're just very in touch with it. You're just very, just very feely. Well, in Acts chapter 20, you have everything from group hugs, prayers, tears, miracles, logistics, needing to reorient things. And so I think there's something for every single person in the room. And today what we're gonna be talking about is how the, the God's world mission is a beautiful and complex thing. So if you're taking notes today, you'll see them up on the screen. Our big idea for the day is the beauty and complexity of God's world mission as we walk through Acts chapter 20. And really, I would just say Acts is a book of a whole. You could talk about that. And we'll talk about uh, three ways in which that shows up. We could talk about many more, but I'd like to keep it to 36 minutes. And so what we'll talk about today is how it involves logistics and the miraculous Two, we'll talk about how it reflects the shepherding care of Jesus. And third, we'll talk about how it's led by the Holy Spirit. It's, it, the, the world mission of God and the beauty and the complexity, the power that it is, it's not led just by a bunch of people wanting to do a really, really good job. And so here's what we just go do because God needs us to go do things for him. No, God is the active agent. He's the one stirring hearts. He's the one making things happen. But yes, he does involve and include his people in what he is doing. And so all of us today want to find our place. And so we'll ask a question of application here on the front end, and then I'm going to come back to this later. And the question for all of us this morning is this, how are you letting God lead you into what he's doing in the world? How are you letting God lead you into the complexity and the beauty of his mission in the world? Now, for some of you who are believers, you, you maybe have a bit of a clue of that. Now, if you're in the room and you're not a Christ follower yet, and you're like, dude, I'm, we're five minutes in and I don't even know what we're talking about right now. You're like, oh, I'm not a Christian. I, I came here as a news resolution. I, I drive down 141 in Carmel at time. I've seen this place look nice. So I came in or maybe with my friend or a family member drugged me here. I don't know. Well, listen, I, totally good. If you got questions about Jesus, I promise we're going to talk about him a lot. And so the, there's things I think that God's going to uh, speak to you about that in the process. And then secondly, if 
you're just like got lots of questions about that and what this would even mean for you today, please know that the invitation is always extended for you to be able to speak to me or one of our pastors, elders, leaders, whoever, because we are all about people getting to know who Jesus is and he, him being the real difference in your life. So anyways, as we jump, as we get ready to jump into the first part of our text today, Acts chapter 20, verses uh, one through six, I'm sorry, one through 17, we're gonna talk about how the, it, the, the, the beauty and complexity of God's world mission, uh, we're gonna talk about how it involves logistics, and the miraculous, which may seem like two things that don't go together, but I promise as we read through here, you will see them. So go ahead and jump with me to Acts chapter 20. I'm gonna read through verse six, and then we'll talk for a bit. So here we go. When the uproar was over, Paul sent for the believers and encouraged them. He said his goodbye and left for Macedonia. While there, he encouraged the believers in all the towns he passed through. Then he traveled down to Greece, where he stayed for three months. He was preparing to sail back to Syria when he discovered a plot by some Jews against his life. So he decided to return through Macedonia. Several men were with him. They were Sotopur, son of Pyrus from Berea, Aristarchus and Segundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy, Tychicus, that's a fun one, and Tromephius from the province of Asia. And they went on ahead and waited for us in Troas. After the Passover ended, we boarded the ship at Philippi in Macedonia and five days later joined them in Troas where we stayed for a week. Now, you might be wondering, um, Kyle, verse one said when the uproar was over. So what happened there? Well, last week, Pastor Adam did a great job of walking us through Acts 19 and I'll give you the quick spark notes before we jump into the rest of the text. Long story short, Paul and his companions are preaching the gospel in Ephesus and all out riot just about breaks out because there's this awesome and amazing thing going on where people are hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and people are turning to him. It's amazing, it's incredible. However, this is having an effect on the city and some people who were involved in the Artemis worship, the Artemis temple worship and the dealing of silver and the amulets and all the books that go with it and the little idols and icons, they're like, oh no, this is part of like what makes the city go around for us financially and where are we gonna lose, are we gonna lose our place in this and whew, what do we need to do to maybe kind of quell this? So what they do is they try to accuse Paul and his companions of starting a riot and being a disturbance and they try to drag him in and all chaos starts to break out, a riot kind of happens, but in the end, what happens is that Paul and his companions, the only thing, the only thing that they can be found guilty of is that they're preaching this message about Jesus. They're not to harm anyone, they're not to hurt anyone. Now, their message, their message of Jesus, I mean, it's just like it is today. The gospel of Jesus Christ is, is, is a good news of love and forgiveness and redemption, but it also comes to challenge the idols of our heart. It comes to challenge the false and hollow narratives that sometimes we believe about us, God, life, others, existence. And God is not apologetic about that. But the good news of Jesus Christ is that redemption has come through him. And so that's what's taken place. That explains the uproar that's happened. And after it calms down, Paul begins to head through the kind of the northern regions of Greece, the Aegean Sea. So we've got a map up here we're gonna put up. And as you'll see, there's green circles and there's black circles. The green circles are Paul's journey north and around to the west. 
uh, as he goes through these different regions where uh, churches have been established prior. And so he goes up and through, uh, 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 toward Macedonia, through, th through Troas, Philippi, Neapolis, Thessalonica, Berea, and eventually to Corinth where he stays for three months. Now, if you remember prior, there was all these names that got mentioned. Some of them were easier to say than others. It's largely believed that the men that are traveling with Paul, like these are not the hype crew. They come in with the music and they get everyone pumped up so that that way everybody can like tell Paul that he's amazing. No, what's going on is Paul is traveling through these regions and what he's doing is he's collecting a large offering for, um, through all these Gentile Christian areas to be able to eventually send back to the Jewish Christians who are in Jerusalem and they're really struggling in poverty and hardship. And so this is a massive body of Christ's moment, and you have to remember that we're talking less than 30 years into the New Testament church, and so you have Jewish Christians, you have Gentile Christians, and you guys know how femi mergers go. It can be, uh, you know, a little tense sometimes. Everybody's getting used to each other being around, and so sometimes the best thing we can do is just to do what would be kind, what would be gracious, what would be unexpected, for the sake of what? Building unity. And so Paul's traveling around, he's, he's gathering this offering, and then he also stays in Corinth for three months because during the winter months, the Aegean Sea was brutal to try to drive across. So it's, it's kind of like, you know, the first big snow of the year hits. And just for the first couple of days, everyone forgets how to drive a little bit. So you're like, do we really want to go out in this? Do we maybe just Zoom it, you know, Google Face it, whatever, Snapchat it? You know, what, I don't know. What do we really do right now? Let's just stay off the roads. So Paul stays. He's gathering the offering. There's, there's this group of people that are kind of going through the regions, uh, helping show that this is not just Paul trying to gather a bunch of money for himself. No, this is really about God's world mission that's going on and its beauty and its complexity. And then in verse three, what we also saw was that Paul wants to go from Corinth directly back to Syria, but verse three tells us that there is this hit that's planned on him that he kind of comes to him that's come from the Jews. So instead of doing that, he works his way back around to Troas, and I know for some of you, you're like, okay, here at First Free, we, we talk about maps a lot, we talk about logistics, who goes where, the details, and, and for some of you, we love this, and it's wonderful, it's one of the things I've come to really appreciate about being here. Others of you in the room are like, why do we do that? Like, just, just, give, me the, just give me the Bible stuff, God, well, this is in the Bible, right? I mean, the, the, the book of Acts, it's, it's, not a, it's not a 20 minute TED talk, about how to go from city to city and tell people to be nice and show kindness and that's just gonna change the world one decision at a time. You know, it, it's not a fictional story about Buddy the Elf traveling through the seven layers of the candy cane forest and the twirly swirly gumdrops so he can go meet his dad in New York. For some of you who don't know that movie, for others of you who do, you know what I'm talking about, right? This, this, is a, this isn't a fictional story. This is the story of the one God of the universe who's redeeming broken and sinful people like us to himself and he's using humans to do it. He's, he's, using, he's using our gifts and our talents and our changed lives in Jesus to do all that stuff. And so sometimes there's just, well, it's just not always smooth sailing. And sometimes you have to, re you have to rearrange logistics because of dangerous weather patterns that happen in the GNC. Sometimes it meets opposition because you have people who in selling false idols and in talking about false gods and in selling false religions, when you start to threaten their pocketbook or their influence or their following, they, they get a little hostile sometimes. And so you gotta like switch things around a little bit. And then this is also the story of God's mission coming to the world. And by the way, there is a satanic oppression to it. Sometimes the, the things that you run into if you're trying to be faithful to your relationship with Christ is not just 
people. It's, it's actually the kingdom of darkness trying to squelch, cancel, and silence the message and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so there's just a lot going on here. And so Luke's agenda, as we read through these uh, first few verses, is to explain to people about the hope that's on the ground, that's come through Jesus, the message that's going around through Greece, and what it's doing in the world. And in the midst of these logistics and all these things that are happening, we also have the miraculous. So if you would, go to verse seven. And so remember, Paul's in Troas, and it says, on the first day of the week, we gathered with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. And Paul was preaching to them since he was leaving the next day. There's a theme that's about to pick up. I want you to pay attention to it. He kept talking until midnight. That's a long sermon. The upstairs of the room where we met was lighted with many flickering lamps. And as Paul spoke on and on, a young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill became very drowsy. Finally, he fell sound asleep. No one's ever fallen asleep in a church service before. Not once, never ever have I ever he fell sound asleep and dropped three stories to his death below. Paul went down, bent over him, took him in his arms. Don't worry, he said, he's alive. In the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul raises this kid from the dead. And then it says, then they all went back upstairs and shared the Lord's Supper and ate together. And Paul continued talking to them until dawn and then he left. Now, I, I don't know, this story I think probably reveals something that's kind of broken in me. Uh, because here's the, this wonderful miracle story, right? I'll get to that more here in a second. But the thing Luke keeps highlighting is how long Paul keeps talking. He's like, I mean, he goes till midnight, bro. It's long. Like, everyone needed an extra cup of coffee. Like, yeah, dude, we love you. We know it's the last night. You're gonna see us for a minute, but whoo, okay. It's, it's midnight, and Eutychus is falling out the window. Oh my gosh, he's dead. And I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where all of a sudden something crazy happens. You're like, oh, it's okay, I got this, right? And, 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 and you know, and I'm not trying to make light of a miracle, but Paul brings Eutychus back and, he, and he's alive and well. And you read about in verse 12 that eventually he's, he's cool. Everybody's like, oh my gosh, sigh of relief. But like in the moments where something kind of tragic happens, do you ever find yourself just being like, okay, let's just, let's just take a break from whatever it was we were doing? Like as a youth pastor, we go to camp and something would almost happen on a sledding hill or something and we're like, okay, everyone's alive. Hey, board games the rest of tonight. Let's just go back. Let's just, let's get everyone in one room because so much community and just sharing of life and really what I'm trying to do is just have a moment, right? Paul just keeps preaching. He goes right back to it. He's like, now my 20th point, get your notes back out. Now, what is, what is happening here? Well, much in the, uh, much in the, like the prior events of Acts 9 and other places, what we're seeing is that God is showing that just as he was with Peter and the other apostles and doing mighty miracles and signs, so too is he also with Paul. And for the sake of time, I'm gonna summarize verses 13 through 17. So I'm gonna go ahead and put back up our map real quick. And what you're gonna see are the black circles of Paul's journey eventually back to Miletus. And he travels south to to Assos, where he goes by land. Luke and others go by ship. Uh, they sink together there, and eventually they travel south down to Miletus. Now, the reason that Ephesus is circled is because the elders from the church in Ephesus are actually gonna meet him in Miletus, but Paul actually doesn't go back there by land the second time. He, like, he just kind of skips it, and the reason is because he wants to make it back to Jerusalem before Pentecost, and he knows if he goes back to Ephesus, the second he gets off the ground, there ain't no way he's gonna be able to get back in the ship in time. 
I mean, it's kind of like for us when we're at church and we've got a lunch appointment right after church at like, you know, 1230 or something and you gotta have like the pregame. Like, okay, here's what we're gonna do. Honey, you're gonna get the kids. Don't talk to anybody. I know you've got friends and I know we're the body of Christ, but we have somewhere to be. We're, we're not gonna talk to those people. We're gonna go out that door and then we're gonna go over here because we parked over there so we won't be near anybody and then we will make it, you know, to wherever it is we're supposed to be. Well, Paul, he's, he loves the church and he loves the elders of Ephesus. And in fact, we find out later that he knows because the Holy Spirit has told him that he's not gonna see these folks again until glory to come. But he just knows he's, he's kind of gotta go around it a little bit. And so what he does is he meets them in Miletus. And what we're gonna read about next really just kind of gives us a window into point number two. The reason that God's world mission is a beautiful and complex thing is because it reflects the shepherding care of Jesus. And as we read through these next series of verses, I, I want you to kind of take note, like who does it seem like Paul is, is seeking to reflect, who does it seem like Paul is being led by as he is with these elders from Ephesus? And so if you would, let's go ahead and jump back in. We're gonna start in verse 18, and I am gonna read for a bit, but don't worry, we'll get through it. So it says, when he arrived, he declared, you know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia till now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin, turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city, that jail and suffering lie ahead, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And I know that some of, uh, I know that, I'm sorry, I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. So now we see why Paul wants to meet him there. I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault for I didn't shrink back from declaring all that God wants you to know. So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, this church, purchased with his blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in after you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you. My constant watch and care over you uh, night and day, in my many tears for you. And now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance with all he has set apart for himself. I have never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine work to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who are with me. And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should, remember the Lord, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than receive. And so I, I just wanna ask you this question as, as you hear some of those things that, that Paul is doing. Who does it seem like Paul is seeking to reflect and be led by in the manner of which he does it? If there was a way I would summarize Paul's message, verse 28 I think puts it really well because he says to feed God's flock and then he also says to guard it. And so the way I would say it is just, he, he, he told the, the Ephesian elders, listen, you gotta feed the flock and you gotta fend for the flock. And when it came to 
like the ways in which Paul fed the flock, first and foremost, what we see as we look through these verses is that he fed them through opening up his life to them. This is something Nick talked about a few weeks ago. You know, Jesus, I'm sorry, Paul didn't exist in the ivory tower sending out orders and commands and he was nowhere to be found. No, I mean, in verse 19 and in verse 20, he says, listen, like you've, you've known my tears. As, as I've sought to be faithful and I've faced persecution, I've faced hardship. It's like sometimes following Jesus, it, it's, it's, it's always glorious, but it doesn't always feel that way. It's hard. It's challenging. It's emotional. And, and Paul says in verse 20, he's like, listen, and you, and you know me because I was in your homes. I was around you. Like I wasn't at the Ritz-Carlton sending out emails and then telling you to go do all the grunt work. He's like, no, I was, I was with you. I was among you. I, I, my hands were busy providing for myself, and then he was also funded from other missionary partners. So that that way, when he was in Ephesus and he was doing what God had called him to do, he could be most busy with sharing life with them and the things that the Lord had put on his heart to do. Did you notice that Paul, in this, uh, in this series of verses, he mentions Jesus directly five times? That, that that's who's given him this, this task to do. That, I think, in my opinion, is who is, Paul is seeking to reflect the shepherding care of. Now, when it talks about Paul fending for the flock, this is the way that I think they did it, because he fed them God's word. Like, when it came to the ways in which Paul would, would teach the scriptures, uh, if you would, we're gonna go to verse 27 real quick. He says this. Uh, he says, for I, did not, uh, for I did not shrink back from declaring all that God wants you to know. All right now, if you go to a couple different translations, we're gonna go and pull a few up here. We'll have the NLT, which we just read, the ESV and NIV. What it talks about in this phrase is either all that God wants you to know from the NLT. Uh, NIV says the, the whole will of God. The ESV says the full counsel of God. And sometimes some commentators have kind of debated on what, what is really intended here. And, and, you know, and over the years, some people have said, okay, when it came to teaching the, the Ephesian elders, you know, Paul, he... He didn't hold back. Like he really walked them through all the Old Testament, every iota, and he made sure that they really got it. And yeah, you know, I've heard some pastors teach that. I'm like, well, I don't know if that's really like the heart of that text, but yes, it is important that we teach people how to read God's word for themselves and we don't just make it light and flighty and always just tweetable, even though it's not tethered to text. Like we really do need to pay attention to what we're teaching and encourage people to read the word for themselves. Other people say, well, you know, maybe it's just, just make sure that they know like the big ideas. We don't need to bog them down with theology and doctrine and all that kind of stuff. Well, no, that really matters. And by the way, if you're gonna start skipping stuff, then who's deciding what? Who's deciding what you're gonna skip? I mean, if we wanna learn about the love of God, we need to learn about the justice of God. We wanna learn about the magnificence of God. We gotta learn about the holiness of God and the way that all these things work together. And so, I, you know, who, who's gonna decide that? And the, the way I would kind of summarize what is intended here, and, and I'm not a rocket science, other people have said this as well, is, Paul spent a lot of time with the elders of Ephesus helping them connect the dots and saying, hey, look, guys, in the law, this is how it was all pointing toward Jesus. In the prophetics, though it was cloaked in mystery, this is how it was all pointing to Jesus. Even in the Psalms, this is how it was all pointing to Jesus. So guys, the hope that the people have been waiting on and that you hear these Jews talk about, like, this is it. This is our moment right now, and this is how you respond. You don't respond to him by trying hard to be better. You respond to him by turning to him as Lord and Savior and letting him lead your life. So like Paul's helping the, the, the Ephesian elders to see their time and space in God's redemptive history. He's helping them to be able to read the Bible for themselves. And why does he take all this time to do this? Well, I think because he's trying to teach them how to spot a fake. Because what does he say in verses 29 and 30? He says, listen, there's gonna be fierce wolves that are gonna come. 
They're gonna try to, they're gonna quote Jesus just enough to get you to listen and they're gonna twist it and try to make it into something else. And then they got you. What do they want? Well, they want clout, they want cash, they want control. Some of them want a following. And believe me, like I, I don't think it's my place in the world to try to judge and examine every single person's heart or whatever. And there are some times where because I'm a pastor, people will say, hey, what do you think about this church or this place or whatever? I'm like, you know, I don't know. Some of it's a little bit easier for me to discern than others. But you know what? If Christ is being preached there and people are getting saved and people are growing and maybe they're different than where I would be kind of on some, some minor doctrinal things. Like, I'm not gonna get in there and judge that. You know what, and if some of them are after a huge clout and following, I think God's gonna be the judge. And so if someone's really at a place where they're teaching false doctrine and they're teaching heresy, but somehow in the world they got saved there, yeah, I just pray they wind up at a more Bible teaching church at some point in time. But I just, I don't, I don't wanna spend all my time trying to go gotcha at wherever there's brokenness in the church because I'm certainly not a perfect pastor. You know, but Paul took the time to feed these elders so that why? So that they could feed the flock. So that they could fend for the flock. And I think that the result of that is that with, for Paul and the Ephesian elders, like they got, they got to see the real thing. They got to all see and experience the shepherding care of Jesus being reflected. And now some of you are like, well, Kyle, how did, wait a minute, hold on. How did Paul know how to do that? He wasn't even one of Jesus' followers. In fact, I remember, right, he was a persecutor of the church and he was killing Christians and he was on his way to persecute more Christians and like, how do you even know? Well, listen, Jesus was the difference in Paul's life. Like when a person turns to Jesus, what happens? You're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Guess what else happens? The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. What does the Holy Spirit do? He convicts us, he encourages us. He helps us to be bold when we need to speak up. He helps us to be meek when we need to shut up. And he helps us with everything in between in our conduct, in our conversations, in our ethics, in our stewardship, everything. What is the Holy Spirit doing? He's he's making us like Jesus. And so because of God's providential work in and through that every now and then we're just like, wow, I I, I feel like that was kind of what God was leading me to do. And someone's got to experience the love and the shepherding care of Jesus in some way, shape, or form, whether you're a pastor or not. And so that, that Jesus was the difference in Paul's life. The reason Paul was able to demonstrate and reflect the character of Jesus is because his new life in the Holy Spirit, it's not because he went out and read 5,000 books and all of a sudden he's really smart now. No, it's because of the Holy Spirit. And so that's why point number three, when it comes to the complexity and the beauty of God's mission, what we have to understand is that it is led by the Holy Spirit who involves us. He stirs our hearts. He encourages us. He convicts us. He reorients our mission to God's mission. He reorients our narcissism to dependency upon Jesus. And I think that if we read through Acts chapter 20, you know, there, we can't help but notice where the Holy Spirit is at and how he's leading. Look at verse 21. Why is, I'm sorry, um, just totally said the wrong one there, verse 22. Um, why is Paul dead set for Jerusalem with what God has given him to do? Well, the Holy Spirit has gripped him. How did Paul know that he wasn't gonna see the Ephesian elders again? Well, because the Holy Spirit laid it upon his heart. How does Paul know about the the persecution and the jailings and all these things? Well, the Holy Spirit. Verse 28, how did these Ephesian elders even get appointed? 
Well, you know, they're nice guys. They go to church. They know I mean, a little bit. You know, let's just go ahead and make them an elder. No, they, these were men who, who knew Christ. Were they perfect? No. But they were people that the Holy Spirit within that congregation said, you know what, these are the people that are really pursuing and knowing Jesus. These are the people that reflect his care. And now, a mistake would be for us to just think that like that's all that's going on in chapter 20 that the Holy Spirit is leading, but there's way, way more going on. Because in the midst of the logistics, who's providing hospitality for all this? Who's cooking meals? Who's watching kids when their sermons go until midnight and people are falling out of windows? Who's giving towards an offering that's going to people that I don't even know because I just feel like that's what God's calling me to do because you know what, we should, we should care about them. We should do something about that. I feel like God's given me an amount I can give. I mean, who in this story is learning how to use their gifts? Who is giving encouragement? Who's helping with travel plans? Who are some of those intercessory prayer warriors who may never get to leave their hometown but God is involving in something that's impacting the world and the globe? And so they're just like, you know what, Paul? I, 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 it's not the thing for me to go with you. But um, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for this ministry? What, you know what, what, what? Is there a way I can support you, send stuff? Maybe I can pray for you on Mondays. Yeah, it's, that's kind of what's going on. Like if we, if we read Acts 20 and the only person we see is Paul, I think we're, we're missing the chapter to an extent. Uh, as Adam spoke about it a few weeks ago, in, in the kingdom of God, there's no big shots. There's just some with more visible roles. Because the true player in this, the initiator, the sustainer, and the one who's completing all that's going on is the Lord himself. And so here's the thing. God's world mission, the beautiful and complex thing that it is, it didn't die and become an artifact in here. It's something that's still going on right now. Where do you think the ends of the earth was within the minds of the apostles? You think, you think they even knew this was over here? Oh, okay, well, yeah, well, we got a missions arm for that. Yes, we do, because we care about global missions. That's why we support missionaries. That's why we go on trips. That's why we, we pray, we, we intercede, we, we give. We think about ways we can partner strategically with other people because of what God is doing in the world globally. Yes, absolutely. And then guess what? Does God's world mission include your subdivision? Well, you know, I don't know about that. That feels more personal. I mean, does it, does it include your workplace? Does it include me when I'm at my son's swim meet or I'm on the sideline of my kid's soccer games? Does it include us and we're at Walmart or wherever it is we are? I mean, that's not your place. Maybe you're more of like a Whole Foods person. I don't really know. I like Aldi personally, but hey, whatever, right? We all got places where we are. It's all cool. But is, does God's world mission, is it going there? Is, wait a minute, okay. Is God's world mission, is it, uh, is it here? Is it within our church? in the ways in which he would logistically be involving people to use their, their gifts, their talents, their resources, in all the different ways in which God's gifted us? You better believe it. But the question is whether or not we always remember that. Now, I wanna hit pause for a minute because there's some people in the room I talked about early on, you're like, Kyle, I'm not a Christian. <laughs> Where is this going for me? 
Well, let's have a little conversation that we can follow up with later. What if the reason God logistically has you here today is to hear the good news of Jesus Christ and it's no coincidence at all? To hear that he came and he did for you what you could not do for yourself, which is live a perfect life before God. And that he came to take everything that was wretched and sinful and horrible about me and about you, and he cared enough to not let that be the end of our story, but to go and to die on a cross for the stuff that, that people know about you and for the stuff that would haunt you if anybody knew, but God knows, about you and about me and about anyone else in the room. I mean, what, what if that was true? What if Jesus really did raise from the grave on the third day and prove that he was exactly who he said he was and did everything he said he could do? What if that was really, I mean, I know for some of you, you might be like, Kyle, that'd be a miracle. I don't know if I really believe in that. Well, guess what? It was a miracle for Paul too. It was an absolute miracle. And Jesus is the same. And he is inviting you to himself. He will be the difference in your life and he will be the shepherd to your soul. And he'll, he'll teach you how to be fed from his word. By the way, this is for all of us in the room now. We, we have weary souls sometimes. And it's not always because of what we don't know. It's because of how we're not letting what we know seep in. And to go into all the corners of everything and speak to us and meet us there. It's because sometimes the, the Holy Spirit's leadings are things that we start to check out on a little bit. Yeah, I'll get around to it later, right? Which leads me to this question uh, today, which is this. Um, when it comes to God's world's mission, the beauty and the complexity of it, um, are, you, are you willing to let God lead you into it? For some of you in the room, that means today turning to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, letting him become the, the Savior of your life and the shepherd of your soul for others in the room. I realize some of you, man, you're, you're serving, I, I, I know this to be true. Some of you are serving in six different areas. You're in three different Bibles, <laughs> like you're, you're giving, you're, you're, you're super involved. Maybe you just need to let Jesus shepherd your soul because in the midst of all of your doing, maybe you need to let Jesus slow you down and just in your abiding and your being, right? And there's always new things that God isn't playing upon our heart, but maybe for others of you in the room, you're, you're a Christian, and I, I wanna say this politely and at the same time directly. This is how it works best for me. If it doesn't land with you, please talk to me afterwards. But sometimes if we're just consuming and we're not letting God lead us to contributing, we, we don't grow like God's made us to grow. We're not growing into that new creation life that's being led by the Holy Spirit like God would have us to. And so you know what, if you're new and you're still checking out whether or not this is your place to call home as a church, I, I, I totally get that, but God still has called you to his world mission in the meantime, which includes your workspace and everywhere else. If this is your home church and you're not contributing in some way, and I don't have money, I'm talking about like in your gifts, talents, and everything else, like let's, let's talk about it. Let's get you on a test drive somewhere. Let's talk about some of the ways in which God has put some passions in your heart that may be totally different than mine and how we can be the body of Christ together. Uh, because at the end of the day, I'll go ahead and hit this last slide. Um, my, my challenge and my blessing to all of us today is just this. Um, may, uh, may God see, or I'm saying, may you see the complexity and the beauty of God's mission and may you let God lead you into it in 2025. Next week, no, daily, today. Let's be vulnerable, let's be on mission, 
And let's be encouraged whatever God has us to be up to today. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for how it convicts. We thank you for how it encourages. We thank you for how it calls us to action. And Lord, for those who are here today who know you as Lord and Savior, I I pray first and foremost that they would just be continuing to learn how to let you shepherd their soul and also to use the gifts and talents and the things that you've given them. And Lord, I also wanna pray that you would, in your grace, uh, just lead people to faith today that need to turn to you. They need to turn to you as Lord and Savior. Maybe they feel like it's a miracle that they're even here today at all. And so to do that seems crazy, but Lord, if they're feeling that inclination in their heart, Lord, would you just help them to respond in faith and to trust in you and to trust in Jesus for everything that he is. And would you lead them just to let someone know because we, we, wanna, we wanna teach them how to let Jesus not just be their savior and Lord, but how to shepherd their soul and to grow into maturity. So we, we thank you for all that today and we thank you for this way in which we can close out our services today in worship and in song. Um, so please just unite our, our hearts and our voices together in Jesus' name.